Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. And perhaps not another episode. This is an episode I feel like that's perhaps been a long time coming because I've been getting a lot of questions about it, even though it's not even breaking news at this point. It is, you could say it's lukewarm news, but it continues to rage on in the minds of Bravo listeners far and wide. And so I am, of course, talking about the unexpected breakup between one Carl Radke and one Lindsay Hubbard from Summer and Winter Houses. So we're going to just dive in, see what we see, see what wants to be uncovered. It's a little bit of a strange situation because the season hasn't even aired yet. <laughs> so none of us are really privy to any details other than what we've seen kind of leading up to this moment in previous seasons. So yeah, this is going to be a bit of a, an intuitive free-for-all. Who better to join me on this quest than a bit of an emotional investigator and detective <laughs> herself? Uh, she's been on the podcast a few times before. You know her, you love her. She is the host of She Speaks Bravo, Emily Hanks. Hi, Emily. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. How are you today? I'm good. It's like nonstop for me today. Every little thing that can happen is happening. Back in a busy, busy LA. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're not here anymore. <laughs> I know. I'm out of the weeds. Yeah. All right, Emily. Are you ready to jump into this juggernaut? Yes, I I am. Okay, great. So I guess full disclosure, I actually was originally going to record this as a solo episode. And for whatever reason, so I started to record it a couple times and I started to even do drop-ins. And for whatever reason, it just was not forthcoming as a solo episode. So um, I do have some intuitive hits that I've gotten in preparation. And I thought what I could do is maybe just start by painting my big picture take on the whole situation. You and I have not really discussed this much, so I don't know exactly where you're coming from in the Summer House yeah. universe. Yeah, so I figured I'd just kind of give my big picture take, talk for a couple minutes, and then you can see where you're at and we'll see where this wants to go. Okay. And I also want to say too, I posted about this on my stories as I often do because I like to kind of get a read on what people want to hear about. I, I feel like this is the most response I've ever gotten. Like, I mean, just wow. immediately... I mean, just DM after DM after DM. So the people the people want to hear this. So having said that, you guys, yeah, just to speak a little bit to what you were writing me about. I mean, my particular take on all of this from the beginning is that, yes, I, I did feel personally real love between Carl and Lindsay. Let me just say up front where I'm coming from actually is I feel I am a fan of both of them. 
I feel really supportive of both of them. I have been a Lindsay Hubbard fan from the very beginning, which was not always a popular opinion. I feel like now Lindsay has more currency and favor with the audience. Back in the day, it was it, I was a, a lonely island of one, maybe not one, but two or three who liked Lindsay. You know, look, I got that she was reactive. I got that she was problematic in ways, but I loved her wildness. I loved her messiness. I loved her living out loud. I loved her loyalty to her friends. I just always loved Lindsay. Carl, on the other hand, I did not like as much in the early years for for true summer house heads who have seen the early seasons. He definitely had a cruel streak, but came to really, you know, support his journey uh, with sobriety and uh, certainly his brother passing. I mean, there was a turnaround in Carl. And so for me, the way I've held both of them in recent years is that these are two, you know, as we all are, flawed human beings who are struggling with what they're struggling with. They've put their lives on this show to be seen, to be witnessed, to be judged. And it really felt to me like when they came together, it felt like two people who had made a lot of mistakes and who were really close friends and who had so much respect for their mutual friendship that they both really wanted to do it differently. Like, that's what I felt immediately. Like, even before we saw them on TV, I was like, oh, this is about the depth of their friendship. And I just felt... I did. I felt their mutual desire to truly do it differently and to create a safe space for each other and to really make something work. I also will say, you know, just kind of picking up on clues from the show. You know, I remember last season on Winter House, you know, Lindsay speaking to like, he knows everything about me. Like, I feel so safe with him. I remember Carl speaking to, you know, seeing her one day and being so incredibly attracted to her. He gave us a little too much info with admitting that he then masturbated to the image. But this is all just to say that I really do feel like there was a genuine spark of love between them. My feeling for them, though, is that there was the love and then there was the part of both of them that were really desperate for this to work out. Mm. And I feel like that lived in both of them for different reasons. And I feel like there's a lot to unpack here that we'll get to. I think for Carl, you know, being on a sober journey and obviously having a relationship to being an addict and addict energy, I just think... I think there was a lot going on for him in his life with his brother passing, with his sobriety, suddenly being kind of hoisted up as this like role model for like mental health advocacy. Everyone's sort of rooting for him. I, I did feel like he was getting put on a pedestal and that was sort of concerning yeah. for me for him because it's really unrealistic in terms of someone who's like early in that kind of journey. And maybe we'll get into some of that. But I could kind of feel in Carl like him wanting his happy ending, wanting this to work. And again, when you're an addict, the addict tends to want to race towards something. The addict tends to want to escape. The addict tends to want the dopamine hit. Dopamine hit. The addict tends to want to check off the box. So I could kind of feel the possibility in him of wanting this to work out for a number of reasons. Lindsay, we all know. She's on a timeline. She's feeling tremendous pressure. She grips relationship like... It's like the cold, hard hand of death, right? So this has got to work, <laughs> work out for a lot of reasons. So what I saw in them were two people who I think genuinely loved each other, but both were desperate for this to work out. And I feel like what we saw on the show very clearly were ways and places that both of them weren't speaking up and speaking to things that were coming up in their relationship. I think because they both 
we're coming from such a place of fear. If I acknowledge this, if I speak to it, if I'm honest about it, the relationship's going to end. And Ooh. <laughs> which I have so much to say about that just in general, like that, you know, that notion of I'm going to keep quiet for the sake of the relationship. Cause then what happens of course is stuff starts to accumulate. And the more you sweep under the rug, the bulkier the rug gets. And so I think kind of the last thing I'll say about this for right now, you know, a lot of people have obviously been asking questions about Carl his motivations for the breakup and, you know, where he was at. And I will say just kind of starting to drop into Carl towards the marriage at the time of the breakup, what I started getting from him was just this voice that was really saying too much, too soon, too fast. Like this just, this is just feeling like a runaway train that is going off the tracks. We've gotten into deep, like just sort of this awareness, like this is sped into something that's sort of out of our control. And there's a lot sort of going on here that needs to be addressed. It's not getting addressed. And I could feel in him the two options. It felt like there were two very real options where it's like kind of the Luann, Tom D'Agostino of it all of like, I can just move forward with this and do it for the sake. Like I can put my blinders on, stay on the runaway train and just get through it to get through it and then see what happens on the other side, Mm. which I want to say like, and I'm sure we'll get into this. I definitely feel a part of Carl that has a deep relationship to being the good boy, the good guy. And let me just be the good boy who like gets through this and like doesn't rock the boat and doesn't upset Lindsay. You know what I mean? Like, let's just get through it. And then the other option of like, I know something's wrong with this and like something's got to give before it's too late. And I feel like obviously he chose the latter. Now, again, there's a lot to unpack here because I also do feel the place in him where he has silenced himself that has perhaps gotten very angry. And I could feel the place in him at the time that is perhaps putting a lot of this on Lindsay. You know, it kind of reminds me, and this is the last thing I'll say, I know I'm saying a lot all at once. It reminds me a little bit of like, we saw this in live action. For those of us who watched Below Deck Down Under, which you have, right? Yes, loved. Oh, amazing. You know, it reminds me a lot of like Margot and Harry. Margot clearly has a relationship to being a good girl. Obviously, it was difficult for her just to have a strong, clear no with Harry. She doesn't have a strong, clear no with Harry. She wants him to like get the hint. He doesn't get the hint. And then she starts getting pissed at him. You know, and this is sort of what can happen a lot of times when we're not clear and transparent (laughs) in what's Mm. coming up for us. We start to take it out on the other person. And I could kind of feel this possibility of Carl starting to feel like it, it was almost like a voice that I heard of me of like, get the fuck off of me, Lindsay. Like too much, again, too much, too soon, too fast, but also maybe a part of him that wants to be like, it's your fault. You're too demanding. You want too much. You're too out there. When in reality, he was playing a part and not bringing his full truth to the relationship the entire time. So anyways, that's just kind of like my big picture take. Like I said, there's a lot of nuances we can unpack and get into, which I'm sure we will. Where are you in all of this? So many, I had to write so many of those, so many of those points down. So I, I just want to start off with the Lindsay of it all. So from at least from my corner of the internet, the response to Lindsay is either you need me, Emily, the podcaster do hate Lindsay on every level, like hate her so, so much. Don't say one good thing or never say one bad thing. Mm. So during my coverage of Summer House last season, 
I cover things pretty like within one episode, I may be like, I thought Lindsay handled that well. And then Danielle was wrong. And then I'll flip it. And like in this, in this fight, it was, I don't take sides. I just kind of like go with what is happening in front of me. And I would get these insane DMs. Like, how much is Lindsay paying you? (sighs) How much is she paying? And I'm like, I actually said some shitty things about Lindsay. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, it, it was weird. So her stands and her haters are very aggressive on either side. So her stands to me became bullies. So I developed a very big resentment towards Lindsay because I feel I've liked Lindsay and I thought that was like I thought it was kind of a popular opinion until I started covering Summer House on the podcast and I was like, "Oh, okay. I had no idea that this was happening." But what happened with Lindsay for me that was always difficult to get over was she never took accountability. Like the the rage and the anger that she would feel towards people and the way she would lash out, it was like the next day, just get over it. I was pissed off. And I viewed that as a bit abusive. And I was like, I always said, the one thing she could stand to do is take accountability. Like I don't, I used to have an anger problem. I used to scream and yell at people, but I always felt bad about it. I was always like, Hey, I'm going to work on myself. I'm really sorry I did that. Lindsay, not an ounce of that. And I feel like that's her downfall. And she's so defensive and all those things. So I have a bit more of a negative impression of her now because after last season, I know Danielle was off the rails, but I still was not going to be like, she's the worst person like everyone else wanted me to be. But I thought the way Lindsay turned on Danielle and was like that last scene in that kitchen, oof. It stung me like nothing else. The way she went so cold and was like, well, you, I mean, I get it. Danielle was a mess at that engagement party. I get it. But Lindsay put so much emphasis on relationships and it's like, there's more to life, Lindsay, but her fixation is on that. Like when she was with Stravi, it was like, she was just, cause she gets so fixated. And Danielle was even saying like, I think you're kind of getting a little fixated on something that maybe you should let go of. So last season, like you said, on the point of they both wanted it to work so badly, both Lindsay and Carl, that no one could say an ounce of anything about the relationship, not a glimmer without her getting really fucking pissed. And that was big red flags for me. Another red flag for me was when Carl wouldn't stand up for Lindsay against Kyle after Kyle who's equally abusive when he gets up in his moods. He doesn't apologize properly, but then Carl was supposed to like have a conversation with Kyle. And if Lindsay had it her way, he would have been like, fuck you, Kyle. Never talk to my girlfriend like that. But that's not how Carl operated in that moment. Going to what you said, he's got to be the good guy. So he couldn't play that role in that equation, but that's what Lindsay needs, quote unquote, from her man. And then when they tried to talk about it, that was the first time I saw the dark side of Carl in that relationship. Oh, so good. I love that moment. Because when he when she says, like, are you, why are you yelling at me exactly. or something? And he goes, you'll know when I'm yelling at you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, so I, I understood Danielle's intentions. I was just trying to be like, not, like, this isn't good. Like, I can sense that you're not having conversations you should be having. And that put her on the shit list. But I also, I get she, I don't, I can't like litigate what happened with Danielle because that was like, I have PTSD from last season trying to like 
come to Danielle's defense. But I just thought the way Lindsay handled Danielle and and Carl, it was like they were shielding themselves from any outside influence. Like, don't come talk to us. Like when Lindsay got all drunk and screamed at Carl in the bedroom, we didn't get to see, maybe they made up later, but I didn't get to see because they wouldn't show us them talking about what she did the night before. I shouldn't have yelled at you like that. That was not cool. None of that was seen. It was just pretend it didn't happen the next day. And I'm sure it was all because they didn't want to show anything on camera that was unsavory because they knew people were looking. But I just felt like we got a very false relationship from them. The first scene, Lindsay in the little outfit, her like nurse outfit, I was like, oh no, this isn't good. This is weird. This felt really forced. Like anytime you force me to watch a sexy scene, I get a little uncomfortable anyway, but I was like, this is weird. So then she had a confessional moment where she was just so over the top. And I was like, is this, am I not? Because I went in expecting to love them. I've been standing them, Carl and Lindsay, the whole time leading up to Summer House. I was like, shut the fuck up, anyone who says this is fake. Then I start watching it and I was like, oh dear, I'm not getting authentic out of this. Something was off to me all last season. The entire way through. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's so complicated because it just feels to me looking back like there were certain lines that perhaps wanted to be drawn in the sand. I mean, look, again, it it's so interesting to me what gets revealed through hearsay because on Winterhouse, and I just rewatched certain scenes, but, you know, Kyle says really clearly on Winterhouse, he says... They're filming this when, like February and March of last year, right? And he says, well, you know, as of October, Carl was saying to me that Lindsay's drinking is... I have a story about that. I have like a personal story about that with Lindsay. Okay. Well, all right. So let me finish and then we can get into the story. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, but he was saying, you know, Lindsay's drinking is an issue. And if it doesn't stop, I'm going to have to break up with her. You know, and then Lindsay did stop drinking ostensibly for Carl and supporting him, although I wonder about that. And given what we've learned, that Carl did have an issue with who she was when she was drinking. And by the way, that moment that you just mentioned, that for whatever reason, it thrills me and I love it. Because it's kind of like Return of Old Carl when Lindsay says, like, you're coming at me. And then he just looks at her with with full Afro wig on because they're on the disco party. And he says... Oh, that's right. He says, trust me, like, you'll know if I'm coming after you. I was like, oh. There, like, there's the disowned rage that everyone wants to pretend isn't still there. But regardless, that fight, I think he even, I don't know if he said it to her or if he said it to Kyle, but he said somewhere it's like, you know, Lindsay drinks and then she gets irrational. And even that fight between Carl and Kyle that they were sort of working out of the disco party, a lot of that was about... Lindsay's issues with Amanda and when they talked about it Lindsay's issue with Amanda was simply that Amanda said at the reunion that she had concerns that they were moving in so quickly together which to my mind really isn't that big of a deal so I felt like there was sort of a subtext here for Carl of Lindsay's overreacting Lindsay has an issue with alcohol and again though it's like if I say any of these things this might be the end of the relationship. And conversely, it felt like, you know, that whole thing with Montauk where you saw Lindsay walking on eggshells and just feeling like if I go out and have fun and go to Montauk, Carl's going to be pissed. And by the way, it felt like that. It felt like Carl had a tense, rigid demand for her to stay there. He did, whether he wants to admit it or not. Completely. So for me, I guess the last thing I'll say about this to your point is it just felt like there were all these 
it's complicated because it's like there are all these unspeakable things and it feels like they're unspeakable because they speak to actual boundaries that would have to be drawn and truths that would have to be faced within themselves of like, I'm fundamentally not okay with this or, you know, like, I don't agree with you here or I don't want to stick up for you when you're acting a certain way. And it feels like it felt to both of them, if we speak to this, it's over. And then it's like, if we let in anything anyone has to say, it sort of opens that doorway yep. to confronting these truths. They just feel like two kids just holding their breath. Yes, totally. So the story with the whole Kyle in October thing. So I that I clocked that moment on Winter House too. I was like, that's a big statement. Like, it's the guy who doesn't drink saying to his friend, like, I don't know if I can handle this, but it's also coming from Kyle. And Winter House was a weird, that was a weird experience for Carl and Lindsay. So I kind of was like, I'll take it with a grain of salt. But then something happens on Summer House where Danielle says something like, yeah, well, I mean, he had said it was a problem. Like her drinking is not good. I made a post about like, okay, I kind of had a feeling that this, that this was an issue for Carl. And I think I'm picking up on it correctly. And that's why she stopped drinking for a period of time. Lindsay came into my DMs and was like, wrong again, sis. She got very mad at me a few times. <laughs> I get wrong again? Yeah, I got. I posted something else she didn't like because I, I wasn't all team Lindsay Carl and she okay. was expecting me to be. And so I was like, I, sorry, I, I know. And I cannot be bought. You cannot come into my DMs and sway me. Remember Alexia <laughs> tried to come and I was like, bitch, don't play me. So... Lindsay says, this is what happened. There was never a conversation. I had gone to Watch What Happens Live with Austin that night. That's when he embarrassed me. So I came home. I was really mad. And maybe I had a few drinks. And it was just like, whoa, too much emotion for Carl. And so then a couple day, a couple weeks later or something, um, he said he was struggling with his sobriety. So I decided to join him and do it in solidarity to get him to his year. And so I, I wrote a long fucking reply, but the main thing I wrote was, it sounds to me like Carl didn't have the language to tell you he has an issue with your drinking. Wow. So he went for, hey, can you help me out? Because that's way less accusatory. And she writes, this is among a million other things, but she writes back and she says, okay, you are making some good points. Oh, wow. But let me, I know. I was like, I just beat Lindsay. Like, I can't <laughs> believe I did that. But that, so but she never ended up getting back to me. She said she would get back to me when she had some more time. And I was like, that's fine. You don't ever have to. But I knew that Carl was afraid to say to Lindsay, Lindsay is a problematic drinker. She's an angry drinker. I was an angry drinker. I don't drink anymore because of that. So it was like, I had a friend recently even say to me, she's like, I miss you drinking. She's like, actually, no, I don't. I'm like, yeah, think about it. No, we don't. We don't miss it. And Lindsay gets mad and doesn't expect it, doesn't let anybody have a feeling about it. It's like, that's, that's what happened. So how the hell is Carl going to say, your drinking is a problem for me and I'm going to be sober forever. So this means you need to stop drinking forever if you want to be with me and you want this relationship to be healthy. Lindsay, and I i don't label myself an alcoholic. I read that amazing book, Quit Like a Woman, and it really transformed my understanding of alcohol. I don't like the concept always of Alcoholics Anonymous because it's like mm -hmm. you're broken. Everyone else can drink alcohol but you. As where Quit Like a Woman has this perspective of alcohol isn't even that fucking great. So why is everyone clamoring to be able to drink it perfectly? 
So it helped me reestablish my relationship with alcohol, meaning I have none anymore. As where Lindsay, she will not admit that. She will not admit she is a problematic drinker. Well, and I think this is an important point just to, uh, you know, not like get into a digression, but I see kind of like a lot of black or white thinking, for example, on the internet or Reddit or even like with some questions I get in my DMs. And it's like, I want to be clear, like... Totally. Just so people understand, someone who's sober can absolutely be with someone who drinks. That's not like... It's not like a automatic deal breaker, right? Because I feel sometimes people are sort of misinterpreting the situation as like, yeah, on principle, Lindsay couldn't or shouldn't be drinking to be with Carl. It's not so much that she drinks alcohol. It's that to your point, she seems to have what we might call, yeah, let's just call it a problematic relationship with alcohol, which by the way, to your point, a lot of people do. Doesn't even mean she needs to label herself an alcoholic. It doesn't mean she needs to go to 12 step recovery. It doesn't even mean she has to completely give it up forever. It just means it seems that there's an invitation to her and, you know, according to the people around her, for her to be willing to look at this relationship. And to look at how she's acting when she gets Mm -hmm. drunk, to acknowledge maybe there's an issue here. Let me take this seriously for myself and let me maybe start exploring options. Yeah. And it just feels like there's kind of a blanket of silence over that. So I want to be clear, like from Carl's perspective, I think, you know, what we're both feeling is like the issue isn't just that she drinks. It's yeah. the, the issue is who she becomes when she drinks, how she acts when he drinks, which by the way, if you are a recovering alcoholic, who by the way, this cannot be stressed enough, is literally in your first year of recovery. Yes. And I want to speak to this so much, but it's, right? it's like that is going to be triggering. Yeah, dude. On a lot of different levels. Yeah. So, I mean, should we just open this doorway now? Or did you want to say anything in yeah. response to... No, let's let's open that doorway up. Exactly what I wanted to get to, yes. Because, like, Carl is just... I mean, oh, God, I'm noticing as I'm, I'm suddenly getting so sad. Carl is just moving so fast and furious through this. And, you know, it's like, oh, my God, there's so much I want to say about this. I mean, look, I mean, Carl even said it himself. There is a, you know, there is kind of a precept or a principle that like first year of sobriety, you don't get into relationships and that exists for a reason, right? It's like, I think what I want people to understand, and I guess just for full transparency, I'm not some, I've never had a substance abuse issue. I've never been addicted to substances. I do absolutely have like an addict brain. I definitely have experience with the 12-step world. Like you, I'm not like, I would never call myself like a avid 12-stepper. I, I feel like I see, I mean, I don't want to get too digressive. I think- that, I know, right? I know exactly what you're trying to say. <laughs> this is what I'll say. I think what I agree with and love about 12-step recovery is the notion that it is a vehicle and a vessel for people to get into relationship with whatever their concept of like surrender and higher power is. Yes, I love that too. I think sometimes what I see, because people who are in 12-step recovery do have addict brains, is sometimes the program itself can become the higher power, uh, which is this kind of swapping one thing for another. 
there can be kind of a dogmatic rigidity with it. So yes, like any program that says, oh, if you're sober, but not through this means, you're a dry drunk. You know, for me, I have a little bit of a problem with that. Even though it's true, (laughs) a lot of people will be dry drunks, like James Kennedy, for example. But still, it shouldn't be this like universal truth that if you, I know people who are sober outside of 12-step recovery and they are not dry addicts. They are nourished, spiritually connected people who are living embodied lives. So we'll just leave that there. But having said that, there is a lot of wisdom in 12-step recovery. Absolutely. And you know, what I want to say about Carl is like, I don't know. It's so funny. You know what's happening for me kind of empathically? It's like, I'm feeling this tremendous amount of grief in me as I start to kind of drop into this notion of like Carl having been on this runaway train, you know? So I feel like part of what's here is maybe the grief that he's outrunning. And I also notice something in me mm. wants to speed up all of a sudden. I'm like, oh my God, we got to get to it. There's so much to say. We got we to gotta talk about all this stuff, you know? So I'm like, here it is. You know, it's like- Interesting. The deeper level of grief in the part of me that just wants to like race through something. I guess what I will just say, like having named that is, yeah, like this is a guy who's in his first year of recovery. He didn't wait a year to get into a relationship. His brother died. There's so much that he was sort of dealing with in such a fast and a furious way. And then, like I kind of mentioned briefly up top, and I really want to say this, I think there's so much misconception about recovery and sobriety. And so what I saw happening, like kind of in the public zeitgeist and, you know, Mm -hmm. good intentions. I think people saw Carl make a very rapid change, which by the way, that's sort of the gift of death a lot of times is it puts us into our hearts. It connects us so much more deeply to our vulnerability. Carl did soften. And then, you know, and we saw this guy going from being a mean-spirited, cruel fuckboy to going to a softened, vulnerable place where he turned over this new leaf. And he did, like he has changed. And I don't want to take that away from him. There's been a significant amount of change in a short amount of time. But what I saw happening, it was like almost like this narrative getting written of like, okay, Carl Sober, he's changed. He's different. (laughs) Yay, Carl, mental health advocate. And I just sort of could feel this pressure, <laughs> this unwitting pressure. Advocate. Well, because he was, he was talking about mental <laughs> was, health, totally. you know? No, yeah. And I could feel both from within and without, again, as Carl, as an addict who, who on some level wants to escape his deeper feeling. And we haven't even gotten to, to his rage towards women that I want to get into. But as someone who perhaps does want to escape his feelings, wants to like sort of get to the happy ending, it's sort of like, okay, I'm off and running with this. And I guess what I just want to say before I'll turn it over to you is like, you know, guys, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like getting sober. Oh my God. That is just mm-hmm. like, it is just the first step of a miles and miles and miles and miles long journey. The alcohol or whatever it is, it is the buffer between you and your inner life yep. that you're trying to escape. Oh and, my God. you know, that's why it's like James Kennedy <laughs> is such a great example. It's like, it's a huge accomplishment that he didn't drink for two years. And I don't want to take that away for it. It is huge that someone like him did that. And you also could see he was not tending to his inner life. And you could see everything was still there. The rage was still there. The denial was still there. The cruelty was still there. It's like when you get sober, that is the, you are just removing the band-aid of the wound. And now it is your job to tend to the wound. And Carl has a lot of wounding to tend to. And so I think I just saw, I just was seeing for him like, the death of his brother, sobriety, 
this relationship with Lindsay, the show, everyone's response to him, like, again, I just hear the words like runaway train, runaway train. And I just feel like this guy never really got a chance to like really step back and like sink into something much, much deeper. And the last thing I'll say, it's like, you know, for anyone out there, it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale that he would get sober and within less than a year, he would just be this changed person who was like a great mm-hmm. guy. Who had all this shit. Thing. All the stuff we saw in Carl those first few seasons, now's the point he's got to deal with it. Yep. That just gave me chills when you said the alcohol is the buffer between you. Were you saying inner light or life? Well, I love that. I love that. I said life, but I also love the yeah, inner life. Yeah, I Yeah, no. Yeah, I was like, either one, it works. Yeah. So I had the most amazing therapy session yesterday because I had this epiphany. So I have a food issue. That's my new thing. My new thing is my food. I can't, because now I don't have alcohol to buffer mm. that anymore. So I developed a food, I would call it an addiction, food obsession, whatever it is. Because I was, I quit drinking for two years. I was in AA for two years. And then I, I met my ex-boyfriend and then he convinced me I wasn't an alcoholic because he wanted a drinking buddy. And so two years in, I then, I picked alcohol back up. But by then I developed a food thing. So now I am about two and a half years having not had a, a sip of alcohol. And it occurred to me, my, my current, my obsession with food that I still have the length, the words I use, the process I go through is the exact same process I used to go through about drinking. It used to be, should I get another bottle? Should I drink tonight? Maybe not. Oh, you know what? And then I'd end up binging because it was like the const, the constant thinking about whether or not to do it. I'd go into the store and I'd be like, should I just get some while I'm here? It was constant. And now I have that with food. And so I had this realization that I was like, so I'm just like plugging and playing something into what I'm trying to cover up. And my therapist said it. She's like, you could replace the food with shopping, replace it with some other thing. Whatever you're doing, it's just symptomatic of what's happening below the surface. Mm-mm. And so now my new task is, like when I start to go into the like the typical obsessions that I do, it's always at night. Yesterday, I was able to be like, oh, this is like, what am I un- what am I hiding? And I'm totally like, it's shame. Like I'm hiding shame Mm. for whatever it was. And like, so that's just like the base level. And so it's exactly what you are saying. And that, yes, we removed alcohol from Carl, but he is going to need to do a whole lot of other work. And it is really hard to look back on your using days like that. Even he even said when they went to, when they had the reunion and they brought up Kyle being like, he was all coked out. He forgot his computer. That like I understood Carl's pain so deeply in that moment at the reunion where he was like, it was just, I know I put people through a lot and it is really hard to look back on those moments because you're embarrassed. You almost want to erase them. You want to take them away. But then what you're, you're eventually going to have to look at the root of that, the root of what was happening there. And Lindsay, while she may go to therapy, Lindsay reminds me of, I swear I had a friend who went to a therapist and I was like, we need to get you a new therapist. Okay. I don't know. Like sometimes you end up with a th- sometimes you end up with the therapist as a yes woman or a yes man or whatever, where they kind of just co-sign whatever, because therapists are fucked up too, just so we're clear. I've gone through many therapists and I'm like, you are toxic. There are a lot, I just person. want to say there are a lot of bad and mediocre therapists out there. So please, if you're get, looking for therapy, yeah. do your due diligence, shop around, and don't yeah. assume they're all good or defer your power to them. Okay, keep going. D- don't defer your power to them. That's very important. 
and, and some and sometimes so like I I watched this friend kind of her therapist I just knew this was happening I was like that therapist sounds like they are a little codependent and people pleasy and they just want you to be happy with them so they're like co-signing everything you say I feel like Lindsay has something similar in her therapist or she doesn't really have a therapist because I'm like this lady is not telling you to check yourself to look at yourself to be looking inward here and Carl is having a hard enough time looking at himself below the surface. I just knew they were like treading water here at the top, treading water here at the top. Lindsay didn't even want to be asked about the first time they were together. Like every, and I don't, I actually didn't like when people mentioned that too, like how the first time they got together, it was really toxic. Remember that scene oh, yeah, where yeah, yeah. they have the date or whatever, oh, and she ends up getting mad at him and stuff. And people wanted to be mad at Lindsay. I'm like, Carl was being a dick too. Like they were, it was a very toxic time for both of them. Yes. So seeing the relationship in action, not just on Instagram, not just on Watch What Happens Live, I was like, oh, this is like denial, Mm -hmm. it feels like. This feels like utter denial. And for an alcoholic or whatever he wants to call himself, addict as well, he admits that there was drug use involved too. That's a dangerous partner to have in my opinion. Yeah, and I think, I mean, what you're saying kind of really confirms for me what I was saying earlier about Carl, but I almost would sort of rope both of them into it. It's like they met in a, uh, not sorry, they didn't meet. They started their relationship in a very vulnerable moment, you know, where Carl's brother passed. And the thing is, to my original point, there is such a, just uh, like, relationship aside, on a friendship level, there is such a base level of love between them. And then there was this moment of vulnerability. And it is interesting because, you know, people were asking me about like, did they really love each other? Did they not? So I kind of just intuitively poked around just how they felt about each other at the start of the relationship. And, you know, and of course, it's multifaceted. But what, you know, the like some of the predominant threads that came through were Carl looking at Lindsay and yeah, really seeing her as like, a safe space, like safety, nurturing support, and also like a feeling of like maternal warmth. Not like in a Mm -hmm. creepy way, but like in a really like I can soften into this and I trust it. And conversely for Lindsay, what I saw towards Carl was his vulnerability and I get to access this more maternal part of me that is a part of me in a way that feels safe. Like I don't think he's gonna like, you know, kind of like, what was that guy's name who I loved watching on TV? Her first... Westcott, the what was her first boyfriend's name? The military guy. Oh, oh my god! What was no. his name? Why, did he talk no. like this? What was his name? Okay, it is Everett. Everett, Everett West. Everett Weston. Oh, Weston. Okay, so you Everett. had a Weston there. <laughs> okay, so Everett. You know, like Everett. it's like it's it's like Carl because he was such in a vulnerable place. It, yeah, again, it felt safe. It's like he's not gonna like turn on me. He's not going to like, yeah, like swipe me when I'm softened. And so I think they met in this really vulnerable moment. I think the love was there, but then it's like, yeah, obviously once you get past the happy ending, right? Reality intrudes and sort of that's what they've got to start dealing with. I do want to get into part of what I think Carl is perhaps outrunning inside of himself, but was there anything you Mm. wanted to say in response? No, I want to hear that. Yeah, because you spoke so uh, well about like that notion of, you know, the things that Carl doesn't want to deal with inside of himself. And, you know, I got a lot of questions, of course, about Carl's relationship to women. Because again, for anyone who hasn't watched those first few seasons of Summer House, I mean, I won't break it down. There was a cruelty 
a cruelty and also, you know, what was interesting to me is like a kind of um, uh, what I might call like a terminal single. Like he seemed to be someone who was like never actually in relationships, but then he'd kind of date around, fuck around and get cruel. And it sort of it totally. really felt like there were major issues with intimacy. So, okay, you guys. And I feel a little gun shy because I'm about, I feel like I'm about to commit a little bit of sacrilege for the viewing audience. Oh. I'm going to speak to something that a lot of people Oh, I feel like I know what you're going to say. Very dear. But I'm doing it with compassion and love, <laughs> which is, you know, I've always been a little, I've always gotten little tingles and hits about Carl's relationship with his mother, Sharon, who gets, oh. you know, Sharon gets trotted out in that way that sometimes parents get trotted out on these shows like Lisa, yeah. Rena's mother. Oh, the mother's here. But anyways, yep, yep, yep. look, this is what I'll say. This is what I am hypothetically curious about with Carl, his relationship to women, his relationship to his mother. A lot of people love his relationship to his mother because they are very close. There's a lot of love there. He treats her very kindly. And a lot of people have even asked in the past, like, I don't get it. He's so kind to his mother and yet he was so cruel to other women. Like, what was that about? And I always, like I said, just had a curiosity slash possible hunch that this is a guy, like the what he's described of his history is that his father and his brother were kind of like really problematic and were assholes. And his mother kind of really bore the brunt of that. And I kind of just had this possible feeling around this notion in Carl of like, I want to be clear, like I am sure that his mother did bear the brunt of bad behavior. And I'm sure there were ways in which she was victimized. And I also sort of wondered if there was a narrative that got shaped in the family of like Sharon's the innocent, put upon helpless mother who got victimized. And that for Carl he kind of felt like there was a choice that had to be made. It's like, I've got to like be by my mom's side in this, which kind of then puts him in opposition to the men, right? And mm. it puts him in this position of being mom's good little boy who sees her and hears her. Maybe, I mean, again, I want to be really clear. Sharon seems sweet, lovely, and nice. And I think any dynamic, if if I'm right about this, any dynamic that emerged, I'm sure is mostly, if not all, unconscious. But I could just feel the possibility, this dynamic of like Carl being mom's good little boy who sort of helps her through these situations, sees her side. Mm. Like I said, it puts him in opposition of the men in the family. And I can imagine for Carl, even though part of him does truly love his mother and is sort of taking kind of maybe the quote-unquote right side of things, there might be in a place in him that also unconsciously resents her. You know, it's like for quote-unquote putting him in this position where he kind of has to choose between the two and cater, I'm using language now of the unconscious voice, like the helpless woman. And I could, mm. I could see where there might be a voice in him that says, get it together. Like, get it together. Pardon the expression, like, man up. Like, stop being so fucking... Like, this has put me in a position I don't want to be in, essentially. Now, I can imagine if there's a part of Carl that feels that way, he would never want to let himself know this. Because in the conscious mind, he might see this as, how can I be angry at this poor, sweet, loving woman who's so kind and so good to me and has borne mm. the brunt of so much? Like, if I have this anger on any kind of level... I'm like the worst person in the world. So let me mm. shove this down. Not to mention what's also coming to me is if if he got mileage out of it, like, oh, Carl, you're not like them. You're the good boy. Like, I feel uh -oh. better about myself because my dad and my brother are the assholes. I'm the good guy. So, you know, he might have like an unconscious investment there, right? So if he's pushing all this down, 
that's a rage that's disowned. And it might make sense then why he might be sort of looking at women outside of himself, sort of taking something out. Like, I love you. I hate you. I love you. I hate you. Fuck you Mm. for playing with me. I'm going to play with you. Mm. You know? So I've just always kind of had this feeling like, look, it's no secret. Carl has rage in him. We've seen it. And I've just always wondered, like, God, Carl, like, if there's a part of you that has rage towards women, if there's a part of you, a part of you, not all of you, like a thread in you that's pissed at your mom for, again, quote unquote, putting you in this situation, what you really need is like safe space to explore this and to understand, like, your inner child has a right to this. Like, the child who is unconsciously, perhaps unintentionally put in a certain dynamic, triangulation dynamic, he has a Mm -hmm. right to this rage. But if you don't know that and you're stuffing Mm -hmm. it down and then it's coming out in shitty ways, which makes you then, to your point about shame, it makes you feel even worse about yourself. Well, then you're going to kind of want to keep stuffing it down. But, you know, if I'm right about this, I just sort of feel like for Carl, he really... I think, shouldn't be in relationship (laughs) until he has a chance to really get clean and right about where he's at in relationship with women. I think that that is a spot-on analysis. I I can connect with that too. Because like, for example, in my family dynamic, my dad was the nice one, the sweet one. My mom was the mean one. And so everyone like kind of protect, like we've been, dad's the one we protect. But what ended up happening for me is I grew super resentful mm. because here was this man that couldn't take care of himself and couldn't stand up to this person. And it just, my relationship with men has been fucked mm-hmm. <laughs> ever since because I don't have a, I haven't like a deep resentment towards men who can't get their shit together. I always end up dating men who can't get their shit together too. And so I can, I can imagine that taking care of his mom. Cause I feel like in the earlier seasons too, she was really going through it. Weren't there a couple of moments where she was like really going through it? Yeah. You mean even before his brother died? Yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. Maybe I'm misremembering, but I'm remembering a thing where she was going through a lot and there were a lot of tears and he was there for her and supporting her. And I can see how then this relationship of, not being the caretaker, but being the best one, being the being the the best friend. You'll never betray me, kind of a deal could absolutely translate over to resentment towards women. Yeah, because I can see it in my own life. Right, exactly, and and that there, you know, there may have been also an unconscious investment Sharon has in being like the downtrodden one who gets mistreated. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, not that she deserves any mistreatment coming her way, but, you know, I think we've all had our relationship to that where sometimes we mm-hmm. get mileage out of being the one who's victimized. You know what I mean? And so if that mm-hmm. put Carl in a position, again, perhaps unintentionally, where he felt like, I've got to be by my own side, maybe there's a covert pressure there, there's a triangulation. And by the way, I also want to say, you know, you made me think of this because I've had, I've worked with clients where they come in feeling like one parent is the best friend. And then in our work together, we kind of uncover, actually, you know, they kind of weren't (laughs) protecting you in the way they should. They were maybe colluding with you a little bit, like towards the other parent. But, you know, what I want to say about that, though, is like, I think sometimes, for whatever reason, you know, us human beings, we're so interesting and funny. Like we get in this black and white thinking. And sometimes when we start exploring this, people start thinking, oh my God, this means, like in your case, this means I have to hate my father now. Or Carl, this means I have to hate my mother now. It's like, no, 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 no. 
look, look, this doesn't take away the closeness, or in some cases, this doesn't take away that that parent was a lifeline for you. Like, multiple things can be true at once. Like, you can totally appreciate the love and support that they gave you and also acknowledge there was something perhaps unintentionally, inadvertently fucked up here that, to your point, had an impact on you. And you have a right to have that had an impact on you. Just like if what I'm saying is true, Carl has a right to know part of me is pissed at Sharon for putting me in this position. I didn't want to be put in this position. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, his anger, he has a lot of anger towards women, which is why it was interesting he was with Lindsay, who was such an angry woman. Right, and so that's part of like when I was saying before, oh, and we should speak to the camera, because a lot of people asked about that, about Carl choosing to film the breakup on camera for the show. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But what I was saying before, it's like when I could feel that part of him that was holding back to be perhaps the good boy... And then starting to feel like sort of these wheels of anger turning towards like, she's too much. She's the, like, it started feeling like, like, again, I just felt, I heard the voice get off of me. Like these emotional demands of Lindsay. And even though Sharon feels very energetically different to Lindsay, like you said, you just said, I end up dating these guys. It's just interesting to me that he maybe wound up dating a woman that he's now experiencing as like all over him too much. There's demands, get off me. You know, I think it says something about pattern, if I'm right about this, of course. You know, Carl's not here. Carl, yeah, no, Carl's not here. So yes, I definitely, definitely want to get into Carl making this conscious decision to end the engagement on camera for the show and just what may have been going on there for him. But real quick, just before we get into all that, I have a little announcement I want to make. I heard from so many people after my last episode telling me that they had, in fact, been interested in my group program and wanting to know if and when there would be another one. So to quickly answer that question, yes, there will definitely be more group programs at some point in the future, but it will not be right away. I really want to learn as much as I can from this first program before I offer another one. Now, that said... Because of all of this outreach, I have decided to open up a few spots, and I truly mean a few, for individual deep dive work before the end of 2023. So what does this mean? It means if you are listening to this episode and wondering how you can apply these same principles to your own life. So maybe you're like Carl and you find yourself stuck in the same romantic patterns time and time again, despite your best efforts to work on yourself. Or maybe there's another area of your life where you routinely feel blocked, like work, money, creativity, body image, sex, whatever it might be, and you don't know why. Then I want to invite you to apply to an individual deep dive intensive. This is where you and I work together one-on-one to uncover the unconscious thoughts, feelings, and beliefs keeping you stuck in certain unfulfilling life patterns and why. It's a safe space for previously hidden aspects of you to be seen and heard on a deep level so that you can finally be free to step into the life that you were meant to live. 
Guys, this is truly life-changing work for the right people. Clients almost always liken it to getting years worth of therapy in a very short, concentrated amount of time. So if you are listening to this and there is something inside of you that is feeling ready to dig underneath your patterns for transformative information and healing, and you want to get to it before the arrival of the new year, just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to apply. Spots are going to be very, very limited. So again, if you're interested in learning more about working directly with me to find the magic in your current struggles or patterns, simply go to the show notes and click the link to apply. Okay, that said, without further ado, let's turn our sights back to Carl ending his engagement with Lindsay on camera. So have you seen the article that was most likely released by one of Carl's friends that said uh, he didn't call cameras to break up with Lindsay. He was just going to film a very important conversation that I kind of, at first I was really pissed at Carl for the whole having cameras there thing. But the once I like settled down and thought about more logistically, the producers are the ones who were probably like, if you're going to have a conversation with Lindsay, we should definitely film it. Because um. your whole storyline this season was that you're, because from a lot of people that I've heard, Lindsay and Carl fought fight a lot this past season, like throughout the whole time. Just like Kylan and Amanda did though, to be honest, like they were fighting the whole time up to their wedding where it was like, should you guys get married? And now that they're married, it's like, it's fine. Everything's great. Well, we know that's how that's going to last. But <laughs> actually, I don't know. We should do an episode on Kyle and Amanda. Yeah, I really came... I, I'm digressing. I'm digressing. Well, it's so easy to digress. I know. So I think a producer might have been like, you need to film it as opposed to... I envisioned Carl being like, boop, 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 cameras. Get over here. I'm going to dump Lindsay. And that just doesn't totally track to me. But if... All season long, there. I think they even filmed a conversation he has with his mom, with Sharon, about how she doesn't think this is good. This relationship looks like it's not stable enough. This is worrying me. It makes sense that a producer would be like, "If you fucking have that conversation, you better call me." So it's. I look at it as less devious, but also Carl is a bit of to to put it in, in like layman's terms. He can be a bit of a fucking pussy. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. Keep going. You know, he could be a bit of a fucking pussy where it's like, oh, Lindsay forced me to do all this stuff. No, dude, you did all this shit. Okay. Like you, and he just had shown up to her bachelorette party and like, or what bridal shower and surprised her because I think they were filming it. So I'm like, well, this is certainly for optics. You know what I mean? And then it's just weird that right after like he was, he was just really playing the part because he was trying to go with it for Lindsay. And now it's like, wait, hold on. This was too much for me. It's like, Carl. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, that's because people were talking about the bridal party, too. And so, yeah, I mean, there's the optics of the show. But to me, this also totally plays into I'm the good boy. Like, I show up. Yeah. I'm the good boy. I do the good thing on behalf of the woman. And yeah, like, exactly to what you're saying and to what I'm saying, it's like the danger of that. I'm saying that because I, look, I know a lot of people out here listening to this probably have their own relationship to being good boys and good girls. And I certainly have at times in my own life. It's like it breeds fucking resentment because, and you got to be, you got to watch for that because, you know, I'm sort of, issuing this as an invitation to the listeners. It's like, if you do nice things, 
And you start becoming aware that there's a flavor of like, okay, I'm doing this thing. But you, I don't know what like the voice is. It's like, mm-hmm. you better see it. You owe me. You know, it's kind of like I'm clocking <laughs> that totally. I'm doing something nice here. That's your sign. You are betraying some sort of boundary. And kind of like we're both saying, it becomes so like seductive in that place to say, well, I do all these nice things. Yep. Now, Fuck you yep. for being crazy. Fuck you for putting me in this position. That's why I brought Margot up from Below Deck Down Under. She literally started resenting Harry for not picking up on her hints. Yeah, her hints. And it's like, Margot, that that is not up to Harry to do. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, this is just speaking to, I think, Carl's sort of commitment to being the good boy, showing up, doing the right thing. But then the secret price he pays where he's, he's holding you accountable for it. And he's pissed. And... You're bringing in an interesting wrinkle. So I I was coming at it from the perspective that Carl picked up the phone and called the producer. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to run with that for a moment. Yeah. Look, you guys, with all of this, you know, context does matter with these things. And yeah. I'm always going off limited information. So yeah. we just We're go guessing. with it to see what... Yeah. And the point is just to examine these themes and issues for all of us. But yeah, like part of it did feel like there may have been kind of like a threat of a fuck you in there of like, yeah, like in this place where I kind of hold you responsible for being like the crazy woman and all of this, like, let me kind of get my little stab in. Let me disconnect from my heart a little bit, like, and make this about business. But, you know, what I predominantly felt, and you spoke to this too, is kind of like, I did feel fear. And I felt like this feels like a buffer. It feels like a buffer where I can kind of energetically distance myself from what I'm doing. The show feels familiar to me. I mean, I think it's important to also, you know, I don't quite know how Summer House works, but I'm assuming it's similar where it's like there's producers, you know, in the field who they talk to. I'm sure he has bonds with the crew. Like, I just get this sense of this is safe. This is familiar. This is a buffer. Again, it keeps me energetically distant from the depth of what I'm doing. I can kind of close something off in me. I also can mitigate Lindsay's reaction. It just feels like it creates in a lot of different ways, like a protective bubble, rather than just to your point, kind of not manning up, sitting down, pulling the Band-Aid off, and risking the reaction, risking the truth, which again, both of them have not wanted to do this entire relationship. Totally. And so the last thing I'll say about this that just feels so present in here, again, for my listeners, because I see this all the time. It's like people silence themselves for the quote-unquote sake of the relationship, thinking it's what's going to keep the relationship alive. And yet this is how the unconscious works. That's actually the thing that ends up blowing up the relationship because you're not in your truth, resentment's accumulating, and then the thing goes to hell in a handbasket. So again, I kind of just want to say for my listeners, if you are someone out there who is holding back your truth because you're scared, you're going to lose the relationship. I got news for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The loss of that relationship might be coming anyway because of your unwillingness to bring the truth to the relationship. What was it that you said disrespect you're disrespecting your own boundaries when you do that? What was the term you used? Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. I think yeah, like betraying your own betraying, boundaries. Betraying betraying I love that. Betraying your own boundaries. I had a prototype of a friend that I used to always attract into my life. And it was the type of friend that I would kind of bend over backwards for and I was always clocking it. I was mm-hmm. always aware because I felt like they didn't give enough to me anyway. They were usually self, they were very much prototypes of my mom, that relationship. I was totally living that out. And so there would be the same pattern where we'd be in a friendship. I would do all these nice things, 
but I'd be totally, I'm like taking notes. Like, and then I did that, but not, you're not conscious about it. You're doing it very unconsciously, 100% unaware of it. Then suddenly the rage boils up and a huge explosion occurs where I'm yelling at the person for all this stuff. They had no idea I was building resentment over. And the last friend I had like this said it perfectly to me. He said, you are the one who's changed. I haven't changed. I've done nothing. And now suddenly you want something totally different from a friendship we've been in for like three years. And I was like, oh. So then I set, what I realized was I set that relationship up. I set that dynamic up with my own actions. And now I'm pissed. I have that very relationship. And so it is exactly what Carl doesn't even probably know what his boundaries are. Right. He is still new to this. He's still learning what these sort of healthy things are like boundaries. You know what I mean? So he has no clue that that is disrespecting his own boundaries. And I felt nervous when he proposed on camera and did all that. Like I was, un- I was like, I don't think he wants to do this yet. He wants to eventually, but this feels fast. Mm-hmm. For that, and so you saying that he wants to slow down, it's going too fast. Yeah, I was getting that feeling last season. And so that now that it's happened, like he really has ended the relationship. It's like, oh, he really was. He was like, this is going too fast, but I have no idea how to say that without it ruining the relationship or having her break up with me or whatever. I'm not 100% sure how she would have handled it. I think she would have dealt with it like it was rejection. I think she would have been like, oh, so you don't want to marry me or something like that. But because he was just so newly sober and and grieving his brother, I felt like you could have given him a minute, Lindsay. Mm -hmm. You could have given him a fucking minute. I know you're on a timeline, but it... Even when the announcement happened, I was like one of the only content creators who was like, oh, I'm not excited about this. This feels weird. This feels very fucking fast. As much as they've been friends this whole time, he has just gotten sober. So now he's about to commit to the rest of his life when he's not even 100% sure everything that's... If it is the rest of his life, he could have waited. But they, right. Lindsay needed to get that moment. She had that all last season... She was getting brutally rejected by every guy that she dealt with. It was just rejection after rejection. And then Carl was there for her. And it was like this amazing fairy tale story. And that's, I think, why Paige resents Lindsay so much because Paige and Craig had the opposite where people saw their right. relationship. They were like, oh my God, run. I think what you're making me think of to point out, and I, and I think this is a really important nuance. Like you mentioned how Carl doesn't even know what his boundaries yet yeah, are yet. And I think that's a really important point because, you know, as someone like for me, for example, I am someone who's definitely been on a major journey with boundaries in my lifetime. And obviously I work with a lot of people who go on a major issue uh, journey with boundaries. And so one thing I know is when you are someone who's conditioned to betray your boundaries, it can, easier said than done at the beginning. Like you really are conditioned to question whether you have the right to feel this way, whether you have the right to have your boundaries. Like I'm sure for Carl, let's say some part of him didn't want to show up for Lindsay's bridal party or whatever. There probably or likely, there's a very strong possibility, there's a voice in his head that's like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And if I don't, I'm an asshole. Yeah. It means something bad about me. This is why I go back to kind of like the deeper version of like, oh my God, if I let myself know 
I'm possibly angry at my mother, like that makes me the worst person in the world. So there is this process of sort of coming to understand, like, actually, I have these impulses and I can trust them, or at the very least, I have the right to check them out and I have the right to honor them. But I think Again, to both of our points, this is why it's so important. And by the way, I said this, you know, you're talking about when the news broke. I think when their relationship was first announced, not the marriage, but their relationship, I think it was, I was on hot takes and deep dives with Jess Rothschild. And we were talking about it. And I said at that time, I was like, what I want for, I mean, I literally said this was, I want for him to go slowly and I want for him to deal with his rage. Like that, like, but I was so supportive of their relationship because I was, I've been rooting for them. And by the way, I still kind of am, like, I think now the way that he's, done this has maybe fucked something up for good. Like, I get the sense Lindsay is <laughs> devastated, embarrassed, heartbroken, and much like Ramona, she might not be able to come back from that. But I want to say my first reaction when I heard they broke up was like, well, we'll see. Like, I, I wasn't counting them out because, like I said, I do feel genuine love there. But look, they both need to be willing to do their own work on themselves. They both need to be willing to go slowly. I think they, yeah, they they need couples counseling and then individual counseling mm-hmm. or whatever. You know what I mean? And they need to take it slowly. But yeah, like, I, I feel like I'm saying a lot all at once. But I this is all just to say, like, I agree with you. I think that there needed to be slowness that allowed Carl to get in touch with what's actually true for him. And then sort of a mutual willingness and commitment to honoring their respective truths totally. so they could really see like what's here for us. Like totally. what is this relationship and is it going to genuinely work? Because the last thing I'll say is like, if Carl does come and say, look, I have an issue with you drinking. Well, then Lindsay really gets to make a choice. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. You know, I can look at this for the sake of the relationship and go on a journey with this, or I can say, Hey, not for me. Bye. You know, exactly that. I think you said it perfectly at the top of the show. They, they didn't want to even talk about or entertain what was going on. They were protecting it so much that it was bad. That's what I was picking up on all of last season. Because I was like, why, like, what is, is there something very fake? Like, I can't get through it. I felt like I couldn't get through to understand the relationship. I don't think really either of them had that idea either. I think they must have thought that just getting together because they've been friends for so long. I think just that alone was like, and it works. No matter what, it's going to work. Yeah, and that's why I was saying up top, I think they both had kind of like an addicty, even though I think the <laughs> love was actually there, I think they had an addicty demand for this to work out and to get somewhere, for it to be the happy ending. Yeah. And then when things started coming in that might jeopardize that, yep. it's like, again, it's just like the, it's like Luann and Tom D'Agostino. Like, I'm not going to look at it, not going to see it. Or even Shannon Bedore, early OC. <laughs> Divorce is not an option. I mean, Shannon Bedore literally said divorce is not an option. She did. Spoiler alert, it was an option. You know what I mean? So it's like when we're clinging to this stuff, it's never a good sign because you're not... Because I remember taking that in when Shannon Bedore was saying that. I was like, they're screwed. Because if you're if you're determining from the get-go divorce is not an option, guess what? David Bedore has no room or space to be honest with you. Because divorce is not an option. If you want to find out if this relationship is really going to work, divorce needs to be an option. Exactly. <laughs> like staying together needs to be an option. Exactly. Being polyamorous needs to be, like everything needs to be an option. All of it. So that you guys can find out where the fuck you actually are. The last thing I wanted to say, because again, it's, it is so interesting 
to me to witness in my, you know, in myself and then also working with people. It's like, there really is this orientation towards black and white thinking. So I'm sure you can imagine, I deal a lot with people who are in relationships and relationships where they have questions, they're not happy. And one of the things I see happen all the time is this assumption that like, if I start speaking up to my questions, to my concerns, it's over tomorrow. Like it's over like that. Boom, it's done and I'm left and I'm alone. And what if I made a mistake? And, you know, I'm always saying to people like, by the way, this is the frightened inner child. This is the fight or flight response. This is the all or nothing panic thinking. This is not reality. Totally. You guys will undertake a process. Yes. And the process is going to take you somewhere and nothing's going to happen until one, either or both of you is ready. So like, just, you know, I'm saying this for the listeners, because again, I know it's so universal. It's like, if you are someone who just worries that the moment you bring in a truth, it's over. I got news for you. It's not usually how it works. And usually both parties kind of have some investment in wanting to make the relationship that you've been in last and not kind of upset the status quo of your life. So usually you've got some breathing room there. I say that all the time. Like when, so if someone comes to me and says like they're venting and they're like, they're like, you know what? And then they called me selfish and I'll be like, Hey, you know what? Maybe you are a little selfish. Maybe you can look at it. Like, don't be so afraid of you having a flaw, someone else having a flaw. It's just an opportunity to explore it a bit. Like I'll be in the middle of a fight with somebody and if they say something that kind of resonates, I'm like, well, now hold on. I didn't think about it like that. And I will, I'm happy to drop a fight and be like, I need to maybe look at that. I need to examine that. It's not a scary thing to do. In fact, maybe because I love therapy so much, I kind of get excited. I'm like, ooh, new project. Okay, let me go work on that. And so I feel like we can all kind of embrace that concept. It's not black or white. Even down to when I talk about like, Bravo shows. It'll be someone I like. And I'm like, look, this person that I like kind of did something stupid, but we're flawed and we're watching flawed people. And that's what makes this TV show interesting. Mm-hmm. It's there's so much nuance in human beings. And so it's the it's when people start to defend and no, I don't, and that kind of thing, that it's not going to go away and it's going to keep repeating itself. It's going to keep coming exactly. up as a problem. Exactly. I'll lean into it, listen to it. You don't have to take it on all the time too. Sometimes people will say things to me and I'm like, that's just inaccurate. But other times I'm like, oh, okay, I'll look at that. Well, that's the thing. I mean, speaking to you, like the points we're making and you talked about like, these are the guys I end up dating. You know, the way that I look at it, that's from a spiritual perspective is because there's something that your psyche wants to work out 100%. through that pattern. And Absolutely. that's why your soul chose your father in the first place, you know, to get a certain kind of wound. And then you attract those guys. And then it's like, oh, I get to work something out here. But yeah, if I stay in my old usual patterns of reactivity, blame and shame... It's just going to keep the pattern going. But if I can find a way in here to surrender in some way, whether that's my self-responsibility, whether that's bringing a truth to them in a direct way that I normally wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like there's always, you know, there's a different, there's always a different alchemical mix, but it's like, there's always an opportunity to work with pattern differently and to reclaim whatever got shut down Mm -hmm. in you in those early years, which to my mind, that's the spiritual journey. That's what I'm doing with clients and myself. But like, that's what I love about life. It's like, as these powerful co-creators, we're always going to kind of keep bringing in the same pattern so that we can deal with it differently. Totally. Absolutely. Can I ask you one last question about Lindsay? I'm just curious about your take. Yeah. Because you mentioned kind of one of your sticking points with her is 
her kind of unwillingness to really, I guess the way I would language it is maybe kind of feel the impact of like her outbursts and to take responsibility for it. Yeah, yeah. What that brings up for me, and I'm so curious what your take on this is, is what I also notice about her kind of conversely is she's very quick to forgive. So like people will do shitty things to her like Austin and she lets it go. And I'm wondering, do you feel that maybe part of why she glosses over her impact is either because she's quick to forgive and or it maybe is she not feeling the impact of other people's actions towards... I'm just curious like what you make of that yin and yang. Hmm, that is a good point. She does forgive easily and she does move on. I would say what I'm getting when you ask that question is that she most likely had a very toxic relationship with expressing emotions So maybe like in her household, it was a lot of just yelling about things and not necessarily speaking about things in a way that was constructive. And so when someone does it to her, when someone attacks her, it's kind of like normal Mm -hmm. or comfortable. And so therefore communicating like that is also maybe something familiar to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. So the last kind of hit I'll drop in here I like what you're saying because what I've always perceived in Lindsay, like she goes, as we've talked about, so hard and fast in relationship. And I've always felt like she too is another one who needs to slow the fuck down. And what I felt Mm -hmm. though is like, if she slows down, I could be like, there is something I feel very vulnerable in her. And it's kind of like, that's the place where she could really get hurt. It's sort of like, if she's causing chaos and drama and then they leave her, even though that hurts, it's kind ah. of like that thing where in some ways I'm kind of controlling the situation. Ooh, that's deep. But if if I drop into like the sweetness, the vulnerability, that's why I was saying it's almost like Carl gave her permission to more safely access this sort of maternal mm-hmm. warmth, this tenderness. If I drop into this and then I'm left, that would devastate me. So when I hear you saying that, yeah, I do wonder for her if she is more impacted by what comes at her, then she lets herself realize. But because she's going so hard and fast, she doesn't let herself know it. She's quick to move on. And hey, if I'm quick to move on, you be quick to move on. Totally. Which then also makes it fascinating that she would end up with someone who, even though he's not saying it, if he had had the three balls to say it, because Carl has three balls, <laughs> uh, if he had had the balls to say it, he she would have ended up with someone saying... We need to slow down, which could have been the best medicine for... See, guys, okay, this is the last point I'm going to make. <laughs> this is what I love about relationship. Like, we draw people in who, like, bring us up against our shit, but also have the keys for our deepest learning. Because Carl may have deprived Lindsay of, like, a sacred opportunity. If he had stood up and said, Lindsay, I need to slow the fuck down, she might have risen to meet him. I agree. Because that's the last thing I'll say about Lindsay. And I don't know, maybe this is my bias because I really, I don't know why. I have this soft spot for Lindsay. I always have. I like the wild, messy ones on these shows. But I've always felt Lindsay has a capacity to learn and to grow and to change. I agree. And maybe she would have heeded his message. I can't, I fully agree with you on that one. I think if he had, if he had said, no, I actually need more time, she would have given it to him. In his mind, she wouldn't have, but I think that she would have. Yeah, but I just really want to highlight that point. It's like we get so scared of bringing our truth, right? Because we think that it's going to like hurt the other person or in the relationship, but we're not looking at the potential gift 
of like our wisdom, the potential mm-hmm. opening that we're creating for someone. It's like there really could have been an invitation there from Carl to Lindsay that could have really served both of them in the relationship. The last thing I want to say too, like I think the gift of someone like Lindsay who, you know, I mean, not that this is a flattering word, but who is so desperate to hang on to relationship is that is the type of person who probably is going to be incentivized to do what she needs to do to hold on to the relationship. You know what I mean? So if Carl really had come in saying, look, this is what's coming up for me. These are the boundaries I'm drawing. These are the things we need to be thinking about. My sense is like Lindsay might have been initially, her feathers might have been ruffled, but this is someone who wants to be in relationship. And I do think there's a gift to that kind of intensity or desperation, which is I'll show up and do the work. You know what I mean? So yeah. It just makes me sad because, again, I actually do feel like there's a deep love there. And I think there's another way this could have possibly gone. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. We'll see. I don't know if she'll be willing to take him back after this, though. I think he kind of flubbed some of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Emily, any last thoughts to feel complete? Anything you need to get out there in terms of Lindsay, Carl? No, I think we really we really got that one. That felt, this felt good. It did feel good. Emily, it is such a privilege and a pleasure. I love your vulnerability. I love your intuition. I love having you on here. Oh, thank you. Um, where can people find you? Well, they can find me. She Speaks Bravo is available everywhere. Um, I also have a YouTube channel, so subscribe to that. And my Instagram and TikTok handles are She Speaks Bravo. So follow me. Okay, great. And like I said, if you are ready to go on a magical journey in regards to your current blocks, struggles, or confusing patterns in life, make sure you go to the show notes for this episode right now, click on the link to the deep dive intensive intake form, fill it out, learn something about yourself, send it to me, and I will be in touch to let you know if it feels like a right fit. Okay, guys, thanks as always for listening, and I will see you on the flip side. Bye.